Hello there, good morning, afternoon, evening, whatever time it is that you tune into podcast yourself. And um, thanks for coming back again uh, to Lost so- Songs of Ireland podcast. I'm Bill O'Brien, the host. Um, we've got a few things to look at today. I've got quite an interesting program uh, set out for you, spanning quite a long, uh, quite a wide um, historical period. Um, I'm going to have a look at embedded advertising. Um, embedded embedded product place placements and advertising in in Irish ballads and Irish music, um, which is quite an interesting. Um, it was actually quite an interesting topic. Um, I, I decided to go for this one because while reading through the 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 schools collection and around a few village schools uh, near where I live, I'd noticed that I, there's a poet called Mahan McMahon or Michael Mahan. I'm not hundred percent sure. The name sense seems to change here and there. Um, who seems to have been a transient bard, a transient poet that kind of passed through the Midlands of Ireland quite a lot, leaving songs wherever he was. Um, I found a few of his songs, and he's someone that I'm gonna I'm gonna do a de- I'm gonna do a deeper dive into this guy McMahon or Michael Mahan, whatever his name was, um, because he seems like a very interesting character. He seemed to have got around an awful lot. Um, I have a feeling he was a professional bard. I think he he was someone who just kind of moved from town to town and had had clients that he worked for. One of the poems that I found by him uh, was quite local, had a really, really interesting story to it. So um, the area that he would have been writing in an active at the time, it's uh, kind of the border between North and South Tipperary around the Golden Vale area. Um, now this historically and for quite a long time has been very, very much horse country. Um, race, even today, it's one of the biggest industries, racehorsing and uh, dairy. It's, it's pretty much been the, hist- the history of that particular area. Um, so the, I've heard two versions of the story. The first of them, which is that in a pub, he made, he'd made he made a bet with the o- owner of uh, the Hibernian Manure Company, which would have been you know, a, a company collecting horse shit from stud farms or perhaps a big stud farmer himself. Um, and marketing it on as manure uh, to, to farmers to use as fertilizer. So one version of this is that he'd had a bet with him that I bet I can write a song that can sell your horse shit. Um, and another version I have, I'm taken straight from um, the, the school's archive. I'm going to read this up now. So adver- advertisement for the Hibernian Manure Company by Michael Mann. The Hibernian Manure offered a prize of two guineas in open competition for the best advertisement for their manures. Michael Mahan, a local poet and a cooper by trade, was a competitor, and after keen competition, was declared the winner. The setting for, th- for his pieces of poetry was a farmer's haggard, in which the farmer was industriously working, and a stranger had approached the gates, and who he'd soon recognised as a friend of his boyhood, but who had spent twenty years in exile. So this is the first version of Hibernian Manure that I have um, collected from the school's archives. They're both a bit different. So, God bless, God bless, the stranger cried as he drew near the spot where Pat was turning up the soil to cultivate his plot. Welcome, sir, the farmer cried, and then he raised his eyes. And an old exiled friend of twenty years he soon did recognise. A warm welcome passed between as they grasped each other's hands and talked of many matters o'er, of home and foreign lands. Where is the rushy valley, Pat? Where is the mossy dell? Where is the weedy garden, where we used to call it then? 
All these are banished long ago. They are now growing clover pure, thanks to the inventor of Hibernian manure. So that's one 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 attempt. I, I, one, one thing I am thinking that could be a possibility here is the two poems came from the same competition that were written by different men. Um, I'm not 100% sure about that, but I've got two two versions of this poem that are quite separate. Um, the other the other version I have from it was for, was is also from the Schools Collective. So both of these songs would have been known around the area and sung uh, by by people at the time. Um, so I don't I, I think they're both legitimate real folk songs. And um, here's here's the second version of Hibernian manure anyway. The stranger with his dog and gun went shooting o'er the hill until he'd reached that little plot where Pat was toiling still. Upon the stile he sat to rest to see Pat use his spade and Mary shake the crop manure to every plant he'd laid. The stranger gazed in wild surprise he had been city-born and never had experienced the working of a farm. What do you call that stuff you shake so neat from end to end? Tis Hibernian's manure, sir. You may be sure, we call it the farmer's friend. Over fifty years I have suffered with this rank and barren soil, but lately I can raise a crop to pay me for me toil. And if I live a few years more, great riches I'll procure. I'll cultivate that mountain there with Hibernian manure. All right, so that kind of got me little think, uh, thinking a little bit after finding these songs. Um, one of the notes on one of the entries for this for the school's uh, collection says that this man McMahon died in 1837 um which is fairly early on now that would have been that's pre uh, Um that's before the famine so I'm I'm not 100% if that's accurate I've, I just have a feeling that it might be a bit later than that because 1837 seems a bit early early on for this kind of a song well yeah anyway after after thinking a little bit about adverts and you know local balladeers, local poets and songwriters being employed by companies to sell their products, I kind of thought this can't be a one-off. This definitely can't be a one-off. This has got to be. There's got to be a few more of these. You know, if it's if it's a way people are going to make money, there's it's going to be a, it's going to be regularly utilized as a as a way for poets and and balladeers uh, to to make make a bit of money for themselves. So I did, the past few weeks, I've been trying to trying to research um, adverts, old ballots that are essentially adverts or placed products or embed, embedded adverts, as, as they're called today. And I couldn't actually find that many of them, um, less than I thought. Now, so I, th I then went off and I looked into a bit of the actual history of embedded advertising, and the idea the idea of um, product placing or embedding an advert within another medium wasn't didn't really exist at the time it, it, it's 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 the it's the kind of thing that kind of came into being during the early radio and early times of early radio and early television um even to the point where any any um academic um resources that i looked at to try and find information on this they only considered radio and television as medium that could possibly have embedded ad adver adverts in it, and I kind of want to use this podcast to ch to challenge that a little bit because the broadside ballad definitely was a medium for embedded adverts. There were lots and lots of little little uh, 
penny song books, penny song sheets that were sold that were a full song that might have one or two lines about a local product, a local ale, usually beers or whiskies or ales or something of that nature, but not always. Um, and the more I kind of looked into this, the more I kind of realized this is actually, this looks to be something that's a bit over, overlooked um, by all the media studies people. So from a little bit of research that I've done, um, generally generally the, the, the first recognized uh, placed products within media embedded adverts whatever you'd like to call them was by possibly and, it, and it's not even 100% sure that he was paid for it but Jules Verne um the great novelist of of the of the 19th century um was very during his lifetime was very famous was extremely famous Jules Verne was um and he uh, it was at the point where like transport companies and shipping companies had known that he was he was writing and publishing his book eight, um, eight, 80, around the world in 80 days. And many of them lobbied him, opened him, openly asked him to be mentioned in the story for posterity, uh, which, which makes sense if you're, if you're an international shipping company and your book is, you know, your, your company is mentioned in what, was tell, what is going to be the, the biggest selling book of the year. That's that, you know, that's great exposure for you. That's the type of advertising that today we take for granted, but back then, um, it would have been a very novel sort of sort of new idea. So it's not it's not known for sure if he actually received money um, for men, for mentioning some of the companies that he does he does in around the world in eighty days. But it it's generally accepted um, by media studies people that, that that was one of the first examples of embedded media. Um, after that, as a paint a painting by uh, by a, a French painter, I assume he's French actually, Edouard Manet. Um, which is a painting of a woman sitting, standing at a bar. It's it's quite well known within advertising circles because of this. Um, and the at the bar, the woman standing up. There's a there's a bunch of bottles there, and one of them is a bottle of Bass beer. Um, but ba Bass is, was a, was a, a, an, a, an ale that was built that was brewed in the east of England. It was very very big company at the time in the mid 1800s. Bass were absolutely huge. Um, they kind of got really big and they made their money um, by following the, the, the expansion of the railways that were being built by the British Empire at the time. Um, so what their biggest kind of market, one of their biggest markets was in India during the, during the time of mass colonization of, of the Indian subcontinent by the British Empire. Uh, the, the, the Irish were not alone at this time in, in these kinds of, uh, in this kind of adverse, adverse treatment by the British Empire um but yeah ba bass it, it like in a very short space of time by focusing on their exports to India where all the where you know a, a, a huge growing colonizing population was of, of English speaking English um empire types um managed to do pretty well for themselves uh, they they grew their company they grew their, their their breweries to very very large size. I've actually I've actually explored one of the old Bass Maltings uh, sites, which is in um, Kings Lynn, which I did a bit of a urban exploration there about fifteen years ago, and it was massive. The money behind some of these big companies back in the eighteen hundreds, when they they you know 
they were monopolies from the get-go. When a company like Bass didn't didn't have many big competitors when it came to exporting um, beer all over the world. Basically, they 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 were kind of unlimited in 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 how they, in in their growth in potential markets really. But um, and we kind of see that, that kind of follows a story like the the company Bass have a long history in advertising now, and it was quite in, it was quite interesting to learn all of this. So one of the first interesting things i found out about uh, bass was first of all was they they pioneered the use of uh place products in an art form they paid a paid a french painter to stick a bottle of one of their beers in one of his paintings with with the with the label clearly visible so you could you could anyone could identify exactly what it was which is very was very very genius at the time i, I do have to say i've, I've Got quite a lot of respect for whoever came up with that kind of, with that idea. It was a big risk, um, and the second to that as well is Bass. It basically invented the concept of trademark, um, because they grew so big so quickly over multiple continents. One thing that was a big problem for the company was counterfeiting. There was quite a lot of people in Ireland. In, in England, Ireland, India, everywhere, everywhere that they were selling their beer, people were just slapping on labels, just like putting on putting on their own labels with, that they'd made that looked like the Bass ones. So, what they did is they'd lo- they'd lobbied and they'd actually created laws in in Britain that govern copyright. Sorry, no, not copyright, trademarking, trademarking, not 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 copyright. These the, these are two things that are very similar, but um, very very different. In application, they they pretty much pioneered trademarking. And um, Bass's logo is a is an or, is a red triangle, and this this triangle is what they trademarked as, as uh, to symbolise that this is our brewery, this is our product, because they had so they had so much problems with people counterfeiting their stuff, and there was no way for them to to go after them. So with a law against trademarking, then they they then could go after anyone that was using their registered trademarks. So I thought that was very, very interesting, um, and I, I did not know that at all. I had no, um, I had no idea. Well, I'm just going to read out a quick um, excerpt from a book that I was reading exa- on on this topic. On um, it was on the market. I, fa- I found a book. I found a textbook on about the marketing of alcohol during the Victorian era. Uh, there was an interesting passage specifically about Bass IPA, and and the trademark associated to it. So. The red tri- triangle or pyramid and the red diamond were in fact the first British company trademarks to be registered under the Trademarks Registration Act. This is in 1842. This is before on Moor, before the famine. Um, Bass was aware of the need to protect the brand identity and, and the company and kept a label book which contained various Bass labels and those used by, ver- by rival companies. This book contained labels from 1870. To 1924, which appeared to have been used as a means of keeping record of all the development of new product labelling, and also attempts by rival companies to, co- to copy uh, Bass's branding. And so they they went through great efforts to protect their branding and to protect their company image and, and the, the image of their products, and which was which was well ahead of their time. To be fair to them, now um, this this wasn't how business normally ran um, anywhere in the world in, in the 18 in the middle 1800s. Um, which is very very interesting, and so 
with with Bass making such public spectacles and protecting their brand image, the company um, did a lot to kind of dissuade fraudulent activity um, re- regarding its products, and at the same time sent out a very clear message to its consumers uh, that that Bass Beer was a reputable company, um, and that they cared about selling high high quality products. Um, because they because they very visibly spent a lot of time and money protecting their products, so you know, to a consumer that look that looks great. You know that looks like a brand that I can rely on. If if this company is going out of their way to remove harmful, um, fake fake products from the market, then you know, looking for that red triangle is probably a good idea if you're a typical ale or a typical a typical beer consumer. Now I'd love to have found. I'd love to say that I've found an old ballad um, advertising uh, Bass beer from the 1800s, but I just I couldn't find any. Un- I I I do suspect that multiple will exist because I I for, in the way that the company has continu- continually sort of reached out to every media as possible to to really really push its branding. Um, I'd be very, very surprised if they if they never commissioned any broadsides or ballads to be written. Um, I will keep looking. I will keep searching for that because I do, um, I do fully expect that multiple ballads uh, extolling the properties of Bass IPA or or Bass um, Stout, whatever they were making at the time. I'm sure they exist, and if I do find them, I will I will come back to this and uh, mention it to you again. So. With regard to bass, one other thing they're well known for in Ireland, particularly amongst uh, kind of trad uh, trad circles, is they they sponsored the Dubliners back in the early seventies. In the nineteen seventies, they actually did a they paid the Dubliners to do an advert for them for the television, which is quite which is not bad as adverts go. To be honest, it's a little um, it's a it's a it's a little cover of a 30 second cover of rocky road the boys land in land in a plane and uh, they get off at the airport jump into a taxi and make their way to a a dublin pub o'donoghue's on merrion row i've no idea if it still exists or not anymore but they all go in have a few pints and they sing rocky road to dublin but with the words changed to be all about bass um I'll, i'll 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 play it now for you because it's worth it's it's worth having a listen to. It's quite funny just just to hear the the Dubliners doing a, doing a little advert like that. It's very cheesy, um, and also because I'm criticising it and because I'm uh, reviewing it in the context, I don't have to worry about copyright strikes here. So anyway, here's here's uh, the famous Bass advert featuring the Dubliners. <laughs> That's some dreadful audio quality. I do apologise for that, but uh, I think the original must have been recorded on a tin can or something like that. That's um, I, I tried tried to scrub it up as best as I could, but that's the best the best that I could do. Um, but can you imagine that that got sent out on TV? That was the the quality of sound recording back in the early nineteen seventies. Amazing, isn't it? Anyway, Ronnie Drew, what a legend. 
So the next uh, ballad I'm going to play for you now, it's another one advertising uh, a stout ale, Dwyer's Stout Ale. Um, I doubt any of you have ever heard of that before. Um, Dwyer's Stout Ale used to be made and sold in a pub in Bansha in Tipperary. This would have been mid-1800s. So I think 1853, I think, was when this one was written. I don't have it in front of me at the moment. But um, yeah, this is Dwyer's Stout Ale, and it's written by a very important bard from Tipperary called Darby Ryan. Now, Darby Ryan is another one I'm I'm definitely going to do a deep dive into Darby Ryan. Um he he alone is worth several podcasts. I could I could fill several podcasts talking about Darby Ryan, which I'm going to at some point. Um but I got a hold of one of his songbooks. Um Darby Ryan was a very very important and very famous balladeer. Um from from the Gortamore era from from the famine era um his most famous one the most famous song is very well known among trad circles and around the world today it's the peeler and the goat uh which is a great tune kind of taking the piss out of the local police um enforcing penal laws that were enacted in Ireland uh, at at the time it's um yeah the peeler and the goat is it it it's it's a it's a big and an important tune not just for the, for the ballad itself um but the the air to peeler and the goat is one that's been used and reused for many 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 songs ever since um most famously the recruiting sergeant is is uh, is probably the most well known air of peeler and the goat besides the peeler and the goat itself so this one is darby ryan he's he's obviously been commissioned by the dwyer's pub in bancher to write this um, Darby Ryan was from Bansha himself. He's buried there at the moment. I visited his, his grave actually a few weeks ago. Um, so the Dwyers of that area of Tipperary at that time were quite big landowners. They were uh, they were they were the descendants of Gaelic, Gaelic chieftains since kind of before colonial times, and they'd, they'd held on to possession of a few castles and quite a lot of the lands uh, around this area. I actually live very close to one of the Dwyer's castles. Um, so they would have been a very influential, uh, very wealthy family, particularly at the time. Um, so I'm going to play that now. This one is Dwyer's Stout Ale, and uh, I've tried throwing in a, a Bowron there. I'm not, I don't know how good I am at playing the Bowron, but it sounds okay to me. So let me know anyway. This is Dwyer's Stout Ale by Darby Ryan. Near that town of Sweet Tip, there's a neat little village called Bansha. You may go by rail. Great place for increasing mankind and fertility. It's there you'll prove fruitful with Dwyer's stout ale. If you meet there, be able and willing to drink of that cup and be sure not to fail. If your expenses be there but one shilling to drink, plenty of Dwyer's stout ale. It is a refreshment to them that is crossic. You'll give circulation and bent to the blood. Stiff rheumatic joints, it will make them elastic, brisk, nimble and hearty as eels in the mud. It bestows on the coward the courage of Hector, the feeble it renders stout, hearty and hale. It makes all their years as long genial as nectar such powers are censured in Dwyer's stout ale it is better than port madeira or sherry cognac brandy and even champagne guinness's stout or old cock whiskey such is the strength of Dwyer's stout ale the farmer the tradesman the indignant spadesman the delicate lady as well as the male the plowman the placeman the pensioner statesman and show their probation for Dwyer's stout ale 
Okay, I had to kind of wing um, the air for that one because I couldn't find any information on what the air um, was supposed to be. So um, that was Dwyer's Delta Ale again by Darby Ryan. Darby Ryan, remember that name. He's definitely someone I'm going to come back to. Um, like, like I say, he was extremely prolific and he had some really, really big hits and a lot of really interesting kind of cool ballads that weren't big hits that I'd like to kind of share as well. Um, his writing was, was really, really good. Like some of his ballads of some of the best I've ever read or seen before. And I, I'm really looking forward um, to sharing a few more of those in the future. So keep an eye out for that. Um, the next one I'm going to play is another little ballad. It's another advert. This is from the 1960s uh, for an Irish beer, an Irish lager called um, called Phoenix, Phoenix Beer. Um, this is set in Malachi's Select Bar in Dublin. And it's kind of just a little, a kind of, it's, it's like uh, a little 30 seconds ditty based on an old style ballad. Um, it's not a classic old ballad or anything like that. It's something that's been written for the advert. But I kind of liked it, so I thought it'd be nice to put in here, seeing as we've already got quite a few songs about different beers, um, range, ranging from, you know, from the early 1800s up until the 1970s. And I think... Um, it's a good little addition for you. So this that this this is an ad, this is the music from an advert for Phoenix Beer. I dream of Phoenix with a brightness and flair. Reach satisfaction, taste beyond compare. I watch enchantment where its bright streams play. Envy every tankard that bears it away. Many golden phoenix, these bones have been smooth. Fragrant overhead that will fall over there. Ah, Mr. O. A lifetime for phoenix to come and see. Quiet strength and flavor make it Phoenix for me. Hmm, all these songs about beer are making me a bit thirsty, I gotta say. Um, so that was an old 60s ballad uh, for Phoenix Beer. So the general takeaway from kind of studying this for the past couple of weeks are two things really. First of all, there's a very, very long tradition of Irish ballads and Irish music advertising beer and various forms of alcohol. And the second takeaway as well, I'd like to hear some opinions on this one, actually. Um, I'm, I'm tempted to actually contact a few academics that work, um, that study advertising, and ask what's going on there. Because every single resource that I looked at um, to learn about embedded media and product placement none of them considered broadsides or ballads as 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 a medium uh, to con to consider for advertising and i'd like to do, i'd like first of all to find out exactly why that is um and dispute that because very very clearly as evidenced uh, today i we, we have irish ballads that date back to the early 1800s that are paid advertise paid uh, paid adverts for products um, and embedded media so I think that's a that's one I would like to look into. Um, if anybody is an academic and anybody does study media, please get in touch and explain that one to me. Um, 
I'll make a few inquiries myself over the next couple of weeks uh, just to find out what the crack is with that, really, because, I mean, it could it could easily be something that's just never been considered in that field, and if it is, maybe it's something that should be considered, um, because I'm just, you know, I'm not an academic, I'm not, I don't have the resources that people in universities do, and if I can find multiple examples of embedded media in old Irish ballads, then they, there's definitely lots, lots more. And they certainly are going to exist in England and in Scotland and America as well. So it'd be interesting to see what the crack is with that and why the media people have overlooked this. There's, it kind of feels like a, a way too big of a medium to overlook, to be honest. Because like, like I said, almost every, literally every resource that I, looked, that I researched about this was just claiming that... Um, the the painting of the bottle of bass in the French man's painting that we spoke about earlier, most of them referred to that as the first um, placed product in an advert, and all of their all, all of their kind of descriptions start at early early radio, um, which is an interesting radio is a very interesting one actually for Ireland because we don't have old radio adverts in this country because when radio was first set up in this country. There were no commercial radio stations. They were illegal. Only the government could broadcast. Um, and from what I understand, it was not commercial. It, like, it wasn't commercial in nature. Now, that's not to say that there weren't adverts on early radio, but I think the advertisers and marketers had to be a lot more sneaky um, in how they how they got them in there. So I'm going to actually... Um, that's something I'm going to look into as well at a later date. That could... Depending on what I find, that could be another podcast entirely talking about early, early radio adverts, um, where songs have snuck in endorsements for products uh, and got under the censor radar, the censors radar, um, up in Dublin, which is quite interesting. So I have one one more that I'm going to share with you and leave you. Um, this one is not about beer, but it is an old one. Um, it's pre 1930s I, there was no date attached to this one again it's from the it's from the school's collection um i'll read out the entry the following verses were taken from an old advertisement for the products of an old woolen factory in brown castle in county wexford so the school's collection is 1937ish the years before and after 1937 and if it's described as an old advert of an old woolen factory in 1937, so it's probably a good bit older than that. So this is very likely going to be late late 1800s, I suspect. I'd like to find out again if anyone knows has ever heard anyone in Wexford has ever heard of Brown Castle, uh, the woolen factory. That'd be very interesting. I, I must admit, I didn't even look into it. I just liked the look of the ballad, and I thought I'd, I'd uh, stick it on the podcast there. So this is. This is Brown Browncastle, an advert for the old woolen factory uh, in Browncastle, County Wexford. <clears throat> I, Edmund Fortune, say to all who at the woolen factory will call that I to them a suit can sell, which I shall warrant to wear well. My prices, too, are very low, a fine assortment I can show, and one thing I had quite forgotten, that in my wool you'll find no cotton. And more than all, I've yet I've said, I've rugs and blankets to fit the bed, and that there may be no mistake, a second price I never make. So that's Edward Fortune, I assume, either paid for that or wrote for that, wrote that himself. So I can only presume that he's the proprietor, the proprietor of the Brown Castle Woolen Factory. 
Um, again, if anyone knows of any fortunes in Wexford, do get in touch. Um, it'd be very interesting. It could be could be a, a, a distant relation, a distant ancestor of yours that wrote that, and I'd be interested to see what happened to the the mill as well. Anyway, I'm going to wrap it up at that. I had a few others, but uh, I'd li- I, I think I'm going to come back to this advertising theme again because it's, there's actually a lot more here to explore than I previously thought. Um, anyway, I'll leave it at that. We've gone past the half an hour mark. Thank you very much for tuning in again and listening to me. It's all very, very, very appreciated. Um, this week, what I am going to do is be- I had a few recordings that I've put into this podcast. Um, and I'm gonna set. I'm gonna splice them and put them up uh, to to listen individually as well. That's gonna go on the Patreon, not for patrons, for anyone. You know, you don't have to. You don't have to subscribe to the page Patreon to access any of this. But if you do feel like subscribing to the Patreon, that is very very welcomed. Um, I'm a new podcaster. I would like to sustain this. I'd like to keep doing this. Uh, for the indefinite future, because I really, really enjoy looking into these songs and and discussing them with you and sharing them. Um, so if you do appreciate what I'm doing, if you do see value in it, if you met me down the pub, would if you, and if you'd buy me a pint, do consider subscribing a five or a month. Um, it really does help. So that's it's uh, you can find that at patreon.com forward slash bill b a u l d b i l l and there's plenty of links. I've put this link on pretty much everything that I'm uploading at the moment. I'm also Bald Bill on Instagram as well. So do feel free to give us a follow and give us a, give us a message. Um, it's always great to hear opinions on what I'm doing. Uh, it's one one, one th- thing I'm finding quite difficult about doing a podcast and putting it out there is you don't get the kind of in- immediate reaction that I'm used to getting from playing gigs or playing to live audiences or speaking to people in, in kind of real life. You can kind of judge uh, based on their reactions how well it's received, and that's completely absent in podcasting. And it's one thing I'm not exactly struggling with, but I'm, I'm kind of finding it a new a new thing uh, for me that I'm sure, I'm sure I'll get past. And the more, the, the more this grows, the more people hear it, I'm sure the more feedback that I'll get. So please do get in touch. Give me your thoughts. Um, if there's anything you'd in particular like me look, to look into in a future episode as well, um, I'm always taking requests. Like I have got a lot of ideas. I've got, I've probably got about ten or twelve um, podcasts that I've more or less got planned out over the next couple of weeks. Um, I'm going to stick to the twice a month schedule for the time being because um, it gives me time to properly research things. I don't, I don't want to rush. Uh, I don't want to rush researching things. I actually, I like to kind of finish most of the work in one week and then kind of leave it for a week before finally recording it and uploading it, just in case I discover anything else that's, that's you know, immediately of interest and immediately relevant to the podcast, um, which often happens after you've done a week of research on something, you know, something else might pop up the next day or the day after that. And I kind of don't want to be left uploading finalizing a podcast and then the next day i find an amazing ballad that would have perfectly fitted that podcast um so to every two weeks kind of suits me for that um reason so anyway i've been bell bill uh your host for the lost songs of ireland podcast this is episode number four now and uh i'm delighted so far with the work that i've put out i hope you are as well 
Um, thanks very much for tuning in. I massive, massively appreciate it. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your days, and we'll see you in the next one.